And now we sit as we hear the readings for this morning. First reading, a reading from the book of Job. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your lines like a man. I will question you, and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stopped. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 107, and the response is, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Let all those who proclaim the Lord, let all those whom the Lord has redeemed proclaim that he redeemed them from the hand of the foe. He gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Some went down to the sea in ships and plead their trade in deep waters. They beheld the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Then he spoke, and a stormy wind arose, which tossed high waves of the sea. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. They mounted up to the heavens and fell back to the depths. Their hearts melted because of their peril. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at the wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. He stilled the storm to a whisper and quieted the waves of the sea. Then were they glad because of the calm, and he brought them to the harbour they were bound for. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and the wonders he does for his children. Let them exalt him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. A reading from the second letter of Paul's to the Corinthians. As we work together with Christ, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See now is the acceptable time. See now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger by purity, knowledge, 
patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honour and dishonour, in ill repute and good repute. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, alive, oh sorry, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. There is no restrictions in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children. Open wide your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand as you're able to, to receive the Holy Gospel. May the Lord be on your lips and in your heart that you may worthily proclaim his holy gospel in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alleluia, alleluia. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. When evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great gale arose and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to, to you, you O Christ. Christ. Pray that I speak and you hear in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do be seated. Despite our modern advances these days, storms remain terrifying and dangerous realities. We have seen how storms and hurricanes could be devastating. Think of the Caribbean islands during the hurricane season and some places in the United States and, of course, other parts of the world. They remind us that storms are dangerous. And the people who lived in biblical times were even more vulnerable to these storms than we are. We have lots of infrastructure in place. And so given the power of the storms, it's no wonder they were always associated or often associated with divine activity in the ancient world. Storms represented both power of both life and death. And two of our readings today in Job and in Mark, they utilize storm imagery, but to different ends. Job is at a climax in a much larger narrative. 
you may remember, if you know the story of Job, you may remember in chapter 13, he said, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. That's chapter 13. So he had to wait until chapter 38 before God is ready to respond to him. So God said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. I don't know if the lectionary, people who designed the lectionary knew this was going to be on Father's Day. When God says to Job, man up, gird up your loins. So that's what he's saying to all you men in the house and all you men online. Gird up your loins, and I will question you, and you will declare to me. And so we're in verse chapter 38, and God questions Job until chapter 41. So there's a lot of girding up of the loins and standing there in the presence of God. And the speeches that God made to Job contain some of the richest biblical reflections on creation. One commentator says that these speeches answer earlier statements and assumptions in Job concerning God's ordering of creation, about procreation, and about our place in creation. So God puts Job in his place, not to put him down, but to put him in his place, let him think about where he is in God's created order. And as far as Job is concerned, God has created a wild world in which humanity is neither at the center of it or on the top of it. We think we're on the top of the world, but Job says, no, we're not there. And so much like the storm, God's speeches to Job are both contentious and adversarial. But ultimately, Job leaves the encounter with a different view of creation, of the creator. He knows it's a world that he cannot control. He's not the center of the world. This world has chaos. And chaos has its place amongst God's creations. And it's a reminder to Job that human power is not unlimited. He reordered his view of the world when he decided to start a family again. You remember that Job has lost everything when Satan was finished with him, including his family. And so listening to these speeches from God, he's thinking again, and he's ready to become a father again, despite the dangers, the risks that he's going to bring these children into. The end of the book of Job says that God gave him seven sons and three daughters. It's not about what God could do. It's about Job's transformation. How much did it cost him to become a father again? He lost all his children. What courage did it take him to want to become a father again? How could he open himself to such terrible vulnerability? of loving those whom he cannot protect from suffering, from untimely death. 
And so out of this encounter, he's granted the resolve to begin again. This time he knows the world is full of monsters and he can neither control them or domesticate them. But he sees the world differently and it allows him to live again. In Mark's gospel, the disciples are facing a different storm. It's evening, they're leaving the crowd, they're going over to the other side, but I haven't really left the crowd because the reading says that other boats went with them. A short time later, a gale arose and the waves beat into the boat and the boat was already being swamped. So Jesus is there at the back of the boat sleeping on a cushion, we would call it a pillow, wouldn't we? Quite comfortably there, no worry at all about what's happening. In the meanwhile, the disciples are in a panic. Remember another story where someone else was hiding at the bottom of the boat. Not that Jesus was hiding, but Jonah was hiding. And Jonah was the cause for the storm. The disciples cried out, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care that we're drowning? And the sailor said to Jonah, what are you doing sleeping? So like Jonah, Jesus is responsible for stilling the storm, but that's where the similarities lie. Because Jonah was running away, and they had to throw him out of the boat to still the storm. But Jesus spoke into the wind, and it stopped. And that must have been so powerful. Imagine being fearful. And I guess the boat is one of these canoe things like we have in the interior of Guyana, and you have a motorboat on it that I went on when I was on sabbatical and this one hour on this little thing on the Mazaruni River going to the interior. And I picture it to be one of those because when you go to the Holy Land and we enact being on the Sea of Galilee and stopping the boat and Jesus stilling the storm, it's one of those boats we're in. It's slightly bigger, but it's no big cruise liner. It's a normal little boat. But you could imagine the shock of the disciples. All of a sudden, it's quiet. Like, who is this man? Who is this man that even the waters obey him? And with our 21st century eyes, we are saying, well, of course you should know who the person is. He was walking with you. He called you all. You brought your brother along. You know who he is. You know he is the word incarnate. You know he is God in Christ with you. You know he's divine. You know who he is. But I wondered if we were those disciples, if we would have known too. I certainly would have been afraid. And so Jesus said, where is your faith? Jesus is unconcerned about the turbulence around him. Well, he could be because he's divine. But the disciples are fearful. They are despairing. The disciples, in the midst of this storm, were able to realize, through their lack of faith, that the faithful one is in the midst. They're in the midst of the living God. And in both of these accounts, the storm reveals something about God, about the world, about faith. Job's revelation was who God is. Job's place in the created order. And I said it risks him 
becoming a father again, having children again, to embrace a world that includes possibilities of chaos and harm. So this is what the end of Job 42 says. The Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. That's a lot of blessings. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named his daughters Jemima, Kezia, and Keren Hapush. In all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance along with their brothers, unheard of. And after this, Job lived for 140 years. He saw his children, his children's children, for four generations. And so he died too, being blessed, not only with material things, with his children, but he was able to see his children's descendants to four generations. In the case of Mark, the disciples take another step in recognizing Jesus as Messiah. And both of these stories, these storm narratives, show how in adversity we have this thin line between our own encounter with vulnerability and coming face to face with the living God. Our world is full of things that are beautiful and terrible. Job reminds us of that watery monster, Leviathan, who wanders the earth unchained and undomesticated. And so I hope that we could learn, like Job, we could demand a conversation with God, but be prepared to man up and woman up to hear what God has to say to you. And wait, because Job said he wanted to talk to God in chapter 13, we wait until chapter 38. And when God spoke to him, he went on for four chapters. So be prepared to wait. Encounter our own vulnerability. We have been sailing in some dangerous waters for the past 18 months or so. We too have lost loved ones. Fathers we lost. Abdul lost his father during that time. Some of us have lost fathers before then. But these stories remind us that when the storms in our lives happen, we are not in the boat alone. God is us with us in the boat, the same God who's faithful to us, the same God who's promised never to leave us or forsake us, is there with us, stilling the storm, saying to the storm, peace, be still, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.